0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective,
1: this is the Theology Central
0: Podcast, making Theology
1: Central. Well, good afternoon, everyone. It is Monday, July the 31st, 2023. It is currently 12.13 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas, where if I was to take Any of my episodes, any episode that I've ever done, and I was to lay it next to what I considered would be a perfect episode. In other words, I would, I would have in my mind, here is the standard. Here is what perfection looks like when it comes to podcasting. If I was to take every one of my episodes and lay it next to this so-called perfect episode, every single one of mine would fall horribly short. Every single time I would lay one of my episodes next to what I consider to be perfection, it would only demonstrate how far from protect, far, how far from perfection I am, how far, how far I fall short in creating a perfect Episode. I mean, I just stumbled over my words right there, right? So, so I would know. I would just. All I would do is just. At some point, you would just drive yourself crazy. Here's perfection. You don't meet it. Here's perfection. You don't meet it. I'm gonna try again. Here's. I don't meet it. Here. Oh, hey. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do it this time. This is gonna be the podcast episode that reaches perfection. Oh, fall short again fell short again, did not reach it. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. And the more I try and the more effort I put in to get to this so-called perfect standard, I'll never meet it. I will fall completely short. Now, that may not mean Anything to you. You may not relate to that illustration in any way, shape or form. I can relate to it because I'm always pursuing that. Like I want to get to that perfect episode, but I never do. I fall short and I fall short and I fall short. And sometimes it will, it'll start kind of like, it'll just be one after the other that I think falls even way below what even I think is acceptable. And I'll be like, oh, that gets more frustrating. And then it becomes almost discouraging. And then you're like, you know, what's even the point? And then you begin to despair. And then then it really gets ugly, ugly, ugly in the way you think. Well, you may not be able to relate to that. Or maybe you can. I don't know. If you can relate to that, well, then welcome to the club. I feel sorry for you because no one should have to go through that. But in a roundabout way, all of us go through that continually because there is this perfect standard out there. It's called the law of God. It is perfect. And it does not compromise. It does not grade on a curve. It demands absolute perfection. The law says God is holy and perfect. He demands perfection. And when you lay your life next to it, I don't care how godly you may think you are. I don't care how many big sins you've avoided. I don't care if you've never been involved in any scandal. I don't care how wonderful and great you are. You take it and lay it next to God's law. You're going to see how far you fall short. You're going to realize you're not going going to make it you're not going to make it you're not going to make it and and if you're even remotely honest with yourself right then you will see and feel the weight of that and it will bother you and you will be crushed and you're going to be like well what can i do you may attempt to try harder and harder and harder you may try to go to church more read your bible more do more and do more and do but you're never going to make it and at some point you may be broken and fall into a pit of despair and want to just give up But that's the reality of the situation. Before you were saved, and it's the reality of the situation, after you are saved, you take your life before becoming a Christian or after being a Christian, and you lay it next to God's law, you are going to see how far you fall short. Using my illustration, you're never going to produce the perfect episode. You're always going to fall. Sometimes it's big mess ups. Sometimes it's small mess ups. But you're going to fall short. Now for many Christians, we either one, convince ourselves that we can actually get to perfection or, or we say, we talk like you can, but then try to make a compromise saying, well, you'll never be perfect. And then feel that as long as we're going in the right direction, somehow that should make us feel better. But the law doesn't say just go in the right direction. The law says be perfect. So you're going to fall short. So then where is your hope? Your hope is in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Your hope is in the gospel that says, no, no, no. It's not what you do. It's not about trying. Don't do. Don't try. Just believe and accept what Christ has done for you. Just rest in the finished work. Now, that is a poor attempt to once again try to articulate the distinction between law and gospel and a just trying to use a different illustration just to once again try to reinforce and remind you of this reality. God's law is perfect, and it says, "'Do this be perfect.'" and you can't and you're going to fall short. The gospel says, "Hey, Christ is perfect. He was perfect for you. He kept the law for you. Rest and trust in him, and all of the, all the demands of the law are met in Christ. That perfection that is demanded in the law, Christ was that, is that, and is is and he is that for you in the present by faith." His righteousness, his perfection is imputed to your account so that you can stand before God and you can be declared to be perfect and holy and righteous. God can look at you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant, because you are covered in the perfection of the true good and faithful servant, Jesus Christ. That is the proper distinction between law and gospel. We've been working on this now since October of 2022, the most important series we've ever started. It kind of fell apart. But of course, why did it fall apart? Because I'm demand I'm wanting perfection and I will never get there. But in spite of not being perfect, what did we do? I decided, oh I know. We'll redo this. Well we'll kind of do a, a law and gospel redo. And we're utilizing the radio program slash podcast issues ETC. I would challenge you to go look up that podcast, issues ETC, subscribe to it. If you if it comes on a radio station near you, listen to it. Issues ETC and they're doing a mini series on the proper distinction between law and gospel. So we're utilizing their discussions to kind of help us get restarted and to kind of redo and we're kind of backing up. Now, remember the book we're utilizing is God's Know and God's Yes by C.F.W. Walther, The Proper Distinction Between Law and Gospel. In this book, there are 25 theses on the proper distinction between law and gospel. We made it to like theses number 11 or number 12 when everything kind of went wrong. So now we're going back listening to Issues ETC as they discuss these 25 theses, and they've made it up to theses number 3. That is where we are. We're going to at least get us back to 11 or 12, and then we may just take up take off on our own, just at times utilizing the rest Of issues, etc. Uh, I don't know how long they're going to go in this series, but we're going to we're using it. And just remember, as we use the series, each one of my episodes is only a short segment of one of theirs because they they're a radio program, so they have to constantly break for commercials. So we're just taking the little segments in between the commercials and utilizing that, and we're critiquing it, analyzing it, and uh, using it to further our study. But I'll remind you of thesis number three. Here again from God's No and God's Yes, the proper distinction between law and gospel by CFW Walther. Here is thesis, thesis number three. You ready? Here we go. Rightly distinguishing the law and the gospel is the most difficult and the highest art of Christians in general and of theologians in particular. It is taught only by the Holy Spirit in the school of experience. So once again, how do you know you're receiving? True, solid, biblical teaching. You know that if the teaching is, um, well, you 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 know. In fact, if I go back to the second one, you know it uh, because they are properly distinguishing between properly distinguishing between law and gospel. If they're not properly distinguishing between law and gospel, you're not getting orthodox teaching. You're getting fraudulent teaching, and then you, as a Christian. This is very important. Not only do you want to get the right teaching, but you have to understand to properly distinguish between law and gospel is the most difficult and the highest art of a Christian and of a theologian. So if you're going to be in a right church, they're properly distinguishing distinguishing between law and gospel. And you as a Christian, you need to be committed to that proper distinction because it's the highest art you can learn. And it's one of the most important because when you destroy the proper distinction between law and gospel, what happens— well, the gospel gets infected. It becomes poisoned. It becomes corrupted. So your gospel that you're trying to give everyone is not really gospel. It's law masquerading as gospel. You still tell everyone, Oh, we preach the gospel and we, but you're really just giving people law. You're, you're, you're giving them a fraudulent gospel. And you, so you have to learn the art of the proper distinction between law and gospel so that you can see when that is happening. And you can assure it's not happening, that you're not doing it, and then you can detect when it's happening in a church. And when it's happening in a church, well, then you've got to make some tough decisions. All right? Now, so we're going to go back to an episode of Issues ETC. We're going to jump in. This is in the middle of their discussion of thesis number three. Let me read it to you again. Thesis number three, rightly distinguishing the law and the gospel is the most difficult and the highest art of Christians in general and of theologians in particular. It is taught only by the Holy Spirit and the school of experience. I think they're going to now look at possibly possibly 2 Timothy 2.15, Possibly Luke twelve, forty-two through forty-four, possibly second Corinthians chapter two, verse sixteen, possibly second Corinthians chapter three, verses four through six. That's how the book does so. We'll see what they're going to do. Remember, these segments are very, very short. So this is gonna start. We're gonna go through this quickly, and then and the reason we're doing these in short segments is one, because it's easier working through their in between the commercials, but these redo's are supposed to be refreshers and reminders. So we want them to be short succinct and beneficial. So let's see if we can accomplish one of those things right now. Here we go.
0: Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. It's our series on the proper distinction between law and gospel with Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Well, I want to pick up on something that you said before the break, and then uh, Luther takes it up in the text here that we're looking at in the proper distinction between law and gospel. When again quoting Luther, Walter says, "Only the Holy Spirit knows this art." Luther would say, "No one really knows how to do it. I sometimes think I know how to do it, and then I realize I don't. Only the whole. This is properly, really, only the Holy Spirit's work, and He must constantly instruct us in how to handle God's word."
1: Okay. Now just remember, this is where I disagree strongly. I know it's common Christian language in your church. You probably hear it all the time. You hear it in sermons all the time. You probably hear it from fellow Christians that it's the Holy Spirit who teaches us. It's the Holy Spirit who is guiding and leading us into all truth. I believe that those promises were specifically for the apostles and writers of the New Testament. Once the New Testament canon was closed, that ministry of the Holy Spirit came to an end. And the reason I am so adamant about that is anyone just thinking about it logically, for two seconds should be like, wait a minute, we got a problem. If the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding and teaching all of us as believers, we've got 2,000 years of church history and we are more divided. Nobody can agree on anything. Christians don't agree on baptism. They don't agree on the Lord's Supper. They don't agree on the church structure and how it should be governed. We don't even agree on on salvation. Christians literally, and just... Look at how many different commentaries there are. Well, so if this person is supposedly being led by the Holy Spirit into all truth, and he says, no, this is the correct interpretation, and then this person over here is supposedly being led by the Holy Spirit in all the truth, and he has a completely different interpretation, which one's being led by the Holy Spirit? And if I'm a preacher and I tell you that the Holy Spirit led me to my interpretation, how dare you question it? Because it would be an infallible interpretation because it was given to me by the Holy Spirit. So I, I I reject this. The Holy Spirit is not the one who teaches you the proper distinction between law and gospel. Now, if you say the Holy Spirit teaches us the proper distinction between law and gospel, because ultimately the Holy Spirit is the one who inspired scripture, I'm holding up my Bible. Well, then, okay, then you can attribute it to the Holy Spirit, but not in some mystical, practical, leading kind of way, inside voice or, or no. We read the Bible and we are confronted with the law of God and we realize, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. Nobody can. And then we hear about the gospel, which seems to say, Christ did it. Christ did it. Okay. Now, how do we, how do we distinguish between these two concepts and how do we understand them? Then it's my job to figure that out. All right. I don't I, I, you, I, I do believe we learn it more through the school of experience because it's through the school of experience that we realize, wait a minute, I keep falling short. I keep falling short. I keep falling short. What's my only hope? But everybody wants to attribute it to the Holy Spirit. Well, if the Holy Spirit's the one teaching it, then every church would understand the proper distinction between law and gospel. And most churches don't even know of the philological concept that it even exists. And when you try to explain the proper distinction between law and gospel, and you try to apply it or teach it, you're going to immediately be accused of being an antinomian. And who knows? They're they're, possibly going to lose people in your church. You literally, like like literally, obviously the Holy Spirit's not teaching people all of this. So I, I disagree dramatically with this. Let's see, though, how they explain the Holy Spirit supposedly teaching us. Let's see if they articulate exactly how this is supposedly done.
2: Right. It's his word. He knows how to use it. And if you think about it, it really is brilliant because the Holy Spirit will use the law to humble pride of heart and save you. And he will also then use the gospel to prevent you from slipping into utter despair and believing that God has in fact abandoned you because of your great sin. So using both of these things constantly in a very lively living dialogue, the Holy Spirit is constantly keeping us from pride and keeping us from despair.
1: And see, that's just not accurate. Christians are constantly filled with pride, and many Christians are constantly filled with despair. So then, what did the Holy Spirit's work not work, or did I somehow circumvent the work? No, He gave us the Holy Spirit inspired scripture, which, when we properly understand law and properly understand gospel, then we can possibly avoid pride. And despair. But even then, if we properly understand law and gospel, we still will not avoid pride. And pride, a subject keeps coming up today and yesterday. Uh, We still will not be able to to avoid pride because the source of pride is my sinful nature. And the proper distinction between law and gospel does not eradicate the sinful nature. So just a proper understanding of law and gospel can help crush the pride. Yes, the more I'll read the law and see the law and be honest with the law, I will see myself and be crushed. Yes. And the more I see the gospel, I can be, I can be kept from despair, but there's no guarantee.
2: Now, Luther does write a bit about this in his commentary on Psalm 131 that Walter cites extensively. Listen to Luther on this. There are some who imagine that they understand these matters quite well, but I warn you to beware of such a presumptuous thought and to remember that you must remain pupils of the word. Satan is such an accomplished juggler that he can easily abolish the difference and make the law force itself into the place of the gospel and vice versa. We often meet with people in their last agony who with a stricken conscience sees a few sayings which they suppose to be gospel, while in reality they are law, and thus forfeit the consolation of the gospel. For instance, the statement in Matthew 19, verse 17, If thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Likewise, this one. Matthew seven twenty one. not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. The devil approaches men who are in anguish of death and in their last hour seeks to pluck them away from the gospel. When Christians are departing into eternity, they reflect whether they are worthy. They may review a multitude of texts and hit upon one like this. If thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And then their heart tells them, you are not fit. You cannot be saved. You see? They cannot distinguish between the law and the gospel. Therefore, it is good for you to be taught this art while you are young. But you must not think, I've been thoroughly grounded in this doctrine, and when I shall be in anguish of death, I shall simply cling to what I have been taught. Ah, yes, if that were within our power, but the devil will throw you into such confusion that you will not find a way of escape out of your dilemma. No one must think. Oh, I am still young, does not God frequently snatch one away and the flower of his youth in order to impress upon others how necessary it is for everyone to consider that he too must die? By texts like those cited, the hearts of men are often led astray so that they cannot think of anything but what they have done and should have done, likewise of what God commands and forbids. While keeping their minds on these things, they forget all about what Christ has done. And what God has promised to do through Christ. Now, Todd, is it okay if we sort of...
1: And I, I don't think I know. I know it's common in Christian language always to blame Satan. Satan's going to show up. Satan's going to show up. Let's remember, Satan is not omnipresent. He's not going to be showing up to every person whispering in their ear. That's just. Again, I don't know why that's such common language within the world of Christianity. Satan is not omnipresent, ladies and gentlemen. He can't show up to every person on their deathbed going, hey, 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 hey. It doesn't work that way. It's your own mind. It's your own sinful nature. It's your bad teaching. Oh wait, wait wait a minute! Uh, you know uh, only those who do the will of the Father will be saved. And that Matthew seven passage that everyone always quotes a lot that it's quoted way uh, frequently. I used to quote it a lot in my preaching all the time. Let's see if I can find it here. Um, if I can find it here, where is it? Uh, is it Matthew seven? is it Matthew 7 let me look here i think they said Matthew 7 i don't is it Matthew 7 uh, okay yeah, uh, Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. And that's preached all the time. Hey, hey, n- not everyone who says, Lord, Lord's getting into heaven. Not, no, only those who do the will of the Father. Well, that's law. And anyone who's even remotely honest with that would be like, well, then I'm going to hell because no one does the will of the Father perfectly. So either one, you got to say, well, what is the will of the Father that's being required there? Is the will of the Father that I believe on the Son? Okay, well then I guess maybe I can work it. But the thing is, is no one's going to enter in unless they do the will of the Father. And the only way you're ever going to accomplish the will of the Father is in Christ, not in practice, because you never will accomplish the will of the Father. But these pa- pastors come along and preach that, and then they say, okay, well, I mean, it's not perfection. No, no, no. It says you have to do the will of the Father. So is the will of the Father there in order for me to be saved? Is it believing on the Son? If that's the will of the Father, then okay. I have faith in the Son, and I didn't do it. God granted me that faith. It's a gift of God, all right? So then then it's not by my works, okay? If If the will there is the com- total will of God, That will obey every command. Then the only way I can fulfill the only way that's I'm going to get around that or not get around it. The only way I'm going to fulfill that because you're not you're not getting around it. The only way it's going to be fulfilled, it has to be fulfilled for me. Christ fulfilled the will of the Father. He accomplished the will of the Father perfectly. Not my will, but thy will be done. He completed the will of the Father. He says it is finished. He finished everything the law required. He fulfilled everything righteousness required. He fulfilled everything the Father willed. He fulfilled it. In Christ, that fulfillment of God's will is now mine. That's the only way. But ask your church what that means. What does it mean? It just, just, you should just call your pastor and just ask, hey, okay, pastor, I got a question. Uh, I know the Bible says that, you know, you know, not everyone who says Lord, Lord will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of the father. What will do I have to do in order to be saved? Now, if they say, just simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Okay. Or if they say, well, you have to fulfill all the law. And you're going to be like, but I can't do that. Exactly. You have to have Christ who fulfilled it for you. If they offer any other answer other than that, that, hey, no, 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 no. What this means is you've got to look to your life and you've got to be doing this and this and this and this. And if you're not doing this, you're not saved. (laughs) First of all, that church is not a proper distinction between law and gospel. They have not learned the proper art of law and gospel. And they're actually destroying the gospel and they're giving you law. And you should be gravely concerned for your well-being spiritually in everyone else's.
2: Take a, a little bit of a hiatus here in Walther to pick up some places where this really resonates in other Christians. I was thinking particularly of the English divine John Donne. He wrote a, a hymn called A Hymn to God the Father. And it is one of my all-time favorite pieces of Christian literature because it is the hymn of a man struggling with the proper distinction between law and gospel. Listen. wilt thou forgive that sin where I begun, which is my sin, though it were done before? Wilt thou forgive that sin through which I run and do still run, though still I do deplore? When thou hast done, thou hast not done, for I have more. Wilt thou forgive that sin? which I have won others to sin and made my sin their door, wilt thou forgive that sin which I did shun a year or two but wallowed in a score? When thou hast done, thou hast not done, for I have more. I have a sin of fear that when I have spun my last thread, I shall perish on the shore. But swear by thyself, that at my death thy son shall shine as he shines now and heretofore. And having done that, thou hast done, I fear no more. You can hear the entendre on his name, done. <laughs> Do you have done or not? And of course, meaning, is it finished or not? It, it invites the great, it is finished from John's uh, gospel to, to ring in too. I bring up that particular poem because I don't think Don actually lands on solid gospel comfort. I have a friend, Pastor Kurt Reinhardt, who lives in somewhere north of the tundra in Canada. Been up to his place before in the snow, and uh, he wrote just recently an absolutely stunning hymn for a friend who was struggling with the memory of past sins. They were haunting. And so this is what he wrote. What God in Christ has surely cleansed, you must no longer call unclean. Trust not in what is felt or sensed, nor what you think is clearly seen. What is in Christ is sanctified, even though it once was fouled by sin. You are not hateful or reviled when Christ has purged you from within. The great accuser do not heed, nor pay attention to his lies. Take not his claims for your heart's creed. His fierce indictments now despise. Alike a babe or virgin youth, yourself in Christ, you must see. For it is God's eternal truth, his great baptismal let there be. God's word alone has final say that names you his beloved child. Christ's blood has washed your guilt away. What God has cleansed is not defiled. Do you hear how honestly Pastor Reinhardt does a better job in the end than Don does of anchoring in the gospel itself, making this distinction. Sure, yes, the law shows you your sin, and it will drive you to despair. But you have a word that you can set against it, and that is the word of God in his saving gospel.
0: Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. It's our series on the proper distinction between law and gospel. We'll move on to the seventh evening lecture and human wisdom versus divine wisdom next. Some very
1: powerful stuff there. But now, this is not a Bible study exercise, but I'm going to challenge you to do something. I really am. I want you to take Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. And I want you today, I want you to email or I want you to contact your pastor and ask them. How do I understand that verse? What will do I have to do in order to be saved? It says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, but those who do the will of the Father. What is that will? If they say, that's simply to believe in Christ and Christ alone, and you are saved. If they say, no, you have to complete the perfect will of God, but Christ did it for you, so in Christ you do fulfill it. If they don't give you one of those two answers, any other answer, they're like, well, what this means is if you'll know you're truly saved if you're doing the will. No, no, it doesn't say if you're doing it you have to you have to do it it's not about trying to do it or, or, or no anything else they're giving you the law they're giving you the law as the answer to how did how to be saved and at that point you have to determine how that impacts you you may be perfectly okay with that you may be perfectly okay with that and you got no problem with that that's fine but I'm telling you they've poisoned the gospel that is a clear way of knowing what's going on in your church. You don't have to argue. You can just say thank you for the answer. You don't have to disagree. Not, don't, I don't even want you to do that. You can just say, okay, all right, thank you. Thank you for <laughs> giving me the law. And now I'll go home and know that I'm going to hell. Okay, no, don't say it that way. But but I, I think you should know. That gives you a clear distinction of what's going on. That gives you a clear idea. And then you can you can process what to do with that. I Sadly, what I think is you're going to be told, you're not going to be given an answer that's going to point you to the gospel. You're going to be pointed to your actions and law. And I'd love to get what you – let me know what you discover. You can email me, yahoo dot com. would love to see what you discover and asking that question. Or if you don't want to ask a pastor, if you have social media, ask all of your Christian friends and see what they say. Or if you're part of some group chat with people from the church, just ask. Don't argue, just ask and see what they say. I guarantee you, you're going to be astounded. Law, 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 law. And the gospel is going to be thrown on the trash heap. All right. Email me newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. Just remember this Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Only those who do the will of the Father. And I'm sorry, you never will accomplish that. That is a law, and that should scare you to death. You say, well, then what is my only hope? The finished work of Jesus Christ. If you lay your life, no matter how perfect it is, next to the will of the Father, you're going to see that you fall short. If you lay your life next to the law of God, you're going to see that you fall short and that you are condemned. Just like every time I lay one of my podcast episodes next to this perfect standard, it's always going to fall short. So if you ever say, well, what does it look like to fall short of God's law? Listen to the Theology Central podcast and you'll be like, that is such an imperfect podcast. He makes so many mistakes and you could be like, hopefully you'll say, and that's just like you when it comes to God's law. Let me be an example of what failure looks like to remind you of your failure to keep God's law. And then what you should do is say, but my hope is in Christ who did keep it. And in Christ, it is done. It is finished. And the imputed righteousness of Christ is yours by faith alone. And you stand before God, holy, pure, righteous, and secure. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless.